Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. And a merry Coco no-no to you too, sir. Wow, yeah, Coco no-no app. I almost forgot. Another Coco no-no? Incredible. Incredible. Coco no-no? It's a hell of a combination. Drink will be gone. I think I've had enough already. This is going to help me? The antidote. Another Coco no-no? Bullshit. Bullshit. Incredible. Another Coco no-no? Coco no-no? Coco no-no? More isn't better. The look of surprise on your face is uh, very dismaying to me. I mean, I've got an easy shortcut. I've got two Coco Nono canned beverages up in my fridge. I did do you that solid. So why don't you run upstairs, grab yourself a canned... (laughs) I'm not going to do that, Ben, because you're just going to talk shit about me while I'm off mic. I'm not going to. Do you promise? I promise. You promise? Look at me. I Would I lie? All right. Sometimes you have to buy your co-host canned. Like I, I, I don't like the idea of pre-canned cocktails. I, might, I make my own cocktails, but I bought Adam pre-canned. I brought them over to his house for a party, but you know they didn't all get drunk, and I was glad because I knew that you know he could break glass in case of Coco No No emergency, and that's what he's gonna do. And these actually were pretty good. I tried one, and I I thought they, you know, held water. That's not really the right term, is it? All right, I'm back, Chief. Hey, quit calling me Chief. All right, I got my drinks here. Okay, tell the people what you're drinking, because uh, I I forget what the the brand was. Uh, sort of adjacent to the new term you have for when you're very drunk. I I think. This is a beverage by the uh, company known as Smooge. <laughs> Smooge. So it's not Smush. S-M-O-O-J is what this can says. And it's a pina colada hard seltzer smoothie. <laughs> just hit G8. If you like pina I haven't had one of these. And you said it was kind of a thick king, like a thick seltzer. And I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what that means. It pours out the way a Ramos Gin Fizz does, where the, the you can't quite wrap your mind around how much head there is on this non-beer beverage. I like that you're uh, you're packing for a trip. Mm-hmm. I stole for myself. I stole a Broad from future me. You had Broads in your bag, and you just turned <laughs> to get Broads out. I myself am drinking a homemade um, painkiller, which is kind of yeah. a... A twist on the pina colada that also involves orange juice. Mm-hmm. My new trick. This was a this was a little home innovation of mine. When I'm making a uh, a blender beverage with a coconut element to it, not getting out the canned creamed coconut, not getting out any any canned coconut product. We got coconut popsicles in the fridge, and I'll just like get a paring knife and like cut the the popsicle part off the stick into the blender. That's all you need. Yeah. And that's also the perfect amount, too, because no matter what kind of canned coconut you get, you always have too much or too little. You're never getting through like a yeah. full can of coconut for cocktail making purposes. 
Well, while we uh, sip on these, Adam, I thought uh, we we had some some boxes left over after um, our recent Code Forty Seven that went disastrously. Yeah. I will say I almost spilled my drink walking into my office today because I left the vacuum cleaner in here and uh, my foot caught the cable and I uh, I did like a the dude getting thrown into a uh, <laughs> a limousine. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here. Huh? I managed to control my fall, so I fell on the couch and uh, I held my drink up. I didn't spill a drop, baby. <laughs> you really dick van diked your drink, didn't you? <laughs> I guess so. This first package here is from Daniel in Bois de Filion, Quebec, Canada. I couldn't possibly begin to spell the first word that you said based on your pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want you to try and spell it either. Dear Ben and Adam, thank you for five years so far of Amazing Pod. Two that I have been to Toronto shows and countless hours of giggling on my way to and from work. Included in this package is the 2022 vintage Quebec maple syrup. Wow. The canned ones are from a family friend's in-law's farm just south of Montreal. And the jars are from the high school where I work just north of Montreal. The work-study students tapped the trees themselves this January. In DeSoto, we trust Daniel from Quebec. P.S. Oh, I brought the Montreal bagels in 2019. They were fresh from that morning. I remember those bagels, Ben. I remember that trip. I remember having two bagels for breakfast because we couldn't bring them (laughs) to the next place. Those bagels were good. Yeah, they were so good. I have two cans of syrup d'érable pur. I love the can format. Yeah. It's a produit de Canada. This was made in in March this year. Wow. Amazing. I love the French Canadians just fucking stroking your French language skills. That's great. That's great for everyone. It's great Uh pod. It's good stuff. I just want to call out the bravery you're displaying here by opening up any packages (laughs) after the incident. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And these are, we got more maple syrup in mason jars here. Mm. These are uh, 100% tasty. And I guess I'll leave out the campus name just for <laughs> anonymity's sake. I don't want anybody to lose their job for sending us school maple syrup. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Next package. These are all things you're going to try first, right? Yeah. Great. That's the deal. All right. This one does not have a sender on the outside. Sent to acting Ensign Harrison, care of Ben Harrison and Adam Franica. So I'm guessing that this is to my baby. Based on that uh, addressee, let's see. It's a uh, yeah. This is for sure for my baby because it's to Ben and Ensign Harrison. So you get to listen to me just open something up that's not even for you. <laughs> Love it. This is like a sibling's birthday, just made to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. Dear Ben, we all know Facebook is infamous for terrible parenting groups, but at least at the next great generation, our egos aren't too big and fart and poop jokes take on a different meeting. We are so excited for baby Harrison to join the crew. Welcome aboard, little shipmate. The boy? Your son? We needed to make sure the boy has the best reading material a young kid could ask for. We got a bigger size for the outfit because we know priority one messages take some time to get there. Hope it still fits. 
This was shipped the day after the acting ensign made his arrival. You and she who is your wife are going to be great parents. Your life might seem like something out of the mirror universe for a while. Remember to be kind and patient to each other. Try to sleep whenever the baby sleeps. Ask friends and family to do a chore or two when they come over to see the new recruit. Uh, You've been doing that for years. (laughs) There's no shame in ordering from the replicator instead of making a Cisco-style meal. If she who is your wife is choosing to breastfeed, make sure she always has a snack and stays hydrated. The best advice us Trekkie parents can give? Buckle up and enjoy your magic carpet ride to the moon. You got this. Love the next great generation. P.S. All new parents need some holodeck time. Don't let let others convince you that it's being selfish. It's so important. Once the newborn phase is over, make sure that she who is your wife gets some alone time and you and Adam get some jazz gummy hangs to blow off steam. Mm. All right. Wow. And there's a uh, gift card to a uh, popular baby product store. (laughs) Wow. This is amazing. We've got some... uh, Oh, boy. There's a comic book here. Oh, this is to you, Adam. There's something in here for you. Do you want me to read hey! the letter? <laughs> I just snapped back into attention. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. This looks like a, uh, a J.K. Woodward comic book cover here. It's great. A Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Broken comic. Those are my favorite comics, the ones that J.K. does. I'm going to break federal law and read this letter on air to you. All right. Okay, that's fair. Dear Adam, you might be wondering what to expect when your co-host... Is expecting. Maybe you're worried that Ben won't love you anymore, or if you'll have to change diapers. Of course not. And Mm. maybe? Mm. Just because Ben is replacing Coco No-No's with saying no-no, that doesn't mean... I I guess I'm not, technically. (laughs) Ironically. Yeah, what what a day to open up that letter. (laughs) Uh, That doesn't mean you're not still his boy. Sometimes he'll have to pay attention to the baby, but he'll still make time to make pod with you. We got you a comic book to comfort you when you're lonely. Okay, okay. It was sitting in my house, not being loved and needed a good home. So I hope it's not a duplicate. On the nights that you can't sleep, Ben will probably be awake with his baby. So Jackie and Lori have a picture of what you're up to. As the boy gets bigger, you'll have plenty of chances to help. You'll be a role model for the acting ensign. The bits you do will be the bits that baby Harrison learns. You'll show him where it's safe to play where a misthrown ball results in the death sentence. And of course, you're on the hook if baby Harrison ever becomes a slickback. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so enjoy this special time. And remember, Ben will be a little bit embarrassed to tell his kids he hosts a Star Trek podcast with you. With love, the next great generation. <laughs> that is really funny. Oh, man. Solid stuff in those letters. <laughs> the next great generation also included some Star Trek books. Some of these little golden books from the Star Trek universe. Oh, those are great. Those golden books with the golden spines. Yeah, great stuff. We just got the bookcase built in the nursery, so I've uh, got a spot for these. And uh, man, handmade with love. It looks like they sent some uh, some baby outfits. These are great. There's a onesie with a uh, Starfleet Academy College of Engineering logo on it. Oh, that's great. So on the days where your wife is out of town, (laughs) your baby will have something to wear. Exactly. (laughs) These are great. And these are for nine months. So I got a little while to to get him into those. I can work on warming my wife up to the idea of him wearing some of this stuff. (laughs) You're going to need more than nine months to do that, man. 
I mean, you can get a lot done in nine months. I recently learned this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is from Kalen in Washington, Iowa. And uh, Kalen has used red duct tape to seal this shut. So very intense tape job on this reused Amazon box. There's a two letters in here. One says, read this first. And another says, read this second. It goes like this. Hey, y'all, it's me, Kalen McCain from the Southeast Iowa Union newspaper. I interviewed y'all over the summer for a column we ran Friday before Trek Fest in Riverside, Iowa. I remember that. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I started listening when I first moved to Washington County, hoping I'd learn enough Star Trek trivia to pass to someone in the know when I was in Riverside, the future home of Captain James T. Kirk. I did not learn any of that trivia from the pod, but I liked it enough to binge my way through TNG and DS9 in under a year to improve my listening experience. I'm now working my way through Voyager, and I'm almost caught up. I thought I'd share some Trekfest goodies to express my support for the show. The Sector 47 beer is named after the part of Riverside Shipyards that the Enterprise was built in, according to the 2009 film. Yeah, the Enterprise in the 2009 yeah. Star Trek film was built on the ground in Iowa. <laughs> of all places to build a spaceship. You need that scene where Kirk rides his motorcycle mm -hmm. to the spot where it's built. And he yeah. gets to look. What's he, what's he going to look wistfully at if not a... Yeah, there's nothing to look at out there if they're not building ships on the ground. <laughs> Caleb goes on to say, I think it's a special edition can. It's also pretty tasty, but like it's Star Trek beer. I drink it anyways. Also included two card packs cool guy at the merch table threw in for free plus the editions of the paper in which I covered Trek Fest and the one that featured the column I interviewed you for. Last but not least I included some Trek related selections from our publication style guide which we had to get in writing because Riverside is in our coverage area. Mm. Thanks for the laughs, the interview and for inspiring me to start my own news podcast composed of drops. Y'all are great. P.S. Sorry for openly disagreeing with you in my column, by the way. P.P.S.S. Apologies for sending this month late. I'm overworked, and the post office here closes at 4.30. Overworked and underappreciated like uh, like many yeah. in the, what is it, the third pillar? What pillar is the press? Oh, uh, well, they're the fourth estate. I don't know the what pillar estate. they are. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, being in a uh, regional newspaper is really noble work, and we're yeah. really glad that smart, engaged folks like Kalen are doing it. Kalen's local news podcast is called Washington Weekly Review, and it's available on most popular platforms. How about that? There are new episodes on Saturday mornings. Let's see. Oh, so the read this second is the style guide stuff from uh, the local paper there about how to refer to stuff in Star Trek. James T. Kirk, middle initial preferred on first reference. CIPT period is the title preferred on first reference, unless specifically referring to the character in a movie in which he is not a captain. Hmm. There's three entries under Worf slash Worf, and uh, that's W-H-A-R-F slash capital W-O-R-F. Uh, sure. To disambiguate what people are referring to. Uh, I'll let people's imaginations do the rest on what, what a style guide might have referring to Star Trek. Oh, no. <laughs> Is that another oh, glitter bomb? Only one of the beers survived. I've got a... Uh, Ziploc bag with one intact beer and one not intact beer, and the bag is full of cloudy former beer. That's why you bag it up. Bag it up. Bag it up.
because everything else in here is intact. We've got copies of the paper, the Southeast Iowa Union. Oh, that's cool. We got some clippings, some actual clippings. We've got some news clippings for once in our careers. Yeah. We got some uh, some collectible card game cards. Not the first time you've held up a Ziploc bag of golden liquid to the camera. <laughs> yeah, people send us uh, Ziploc bags full of golden liquid all the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for these lovely gifts, Kaylin. I hope this one other beer is in okay shape. I'm sure it's fine. All right, Adam. Final box. We're going to see if we got through this entire thing without a prank. This one is from Nick in Las Vegas, Nevada, Adam. A city you're always sort of running from and running to at the same time. Boy, that's well put. (laughs) All right. We have a sheaf of of paperwork here. Hello, I'm a longtime viewer, but I haven't been able to catch a live show yet, so I had no idea that you were seeking Jamaharon until you mentioned it on a recent show when someone sent you Horgons, I got into crochet over the pandemic to make little stuffed toys, and immediately I wondered if there were crochet Horgons floating around. Hmm. It turns out there was no pattern available, so I started creating one. I've never created a pattern before, and it happened to be Pride Month, so I used some rainbow yarn I could never find a use for. I hope you enjoy the resulting Horgons as much as I've enjoyed listening to the pod over the years, although it may not attract the kind of Jamarone you're looking for. Can't wait for the online show, and I'm also looking forward to the next time you land pod in Vegas. LLAP Nick. P.S. I've never put any patterns online, but I'm happy to give it away if you get requests or just want to make it available on your own. Wow. So yeah, Nick has included a very detailed list of the supplies you need and like I've never crocheted, but I assume that this is sort of the procedure for making it. And it's like 93 individual steps. All right, Ben. Uh, Read them off. (laughs) I hope Wendy just fast forwards through that. Ben, we received a crocheted Horgon many years ago, and it's one of the many Horgons that we bring to our live shows on stage. So we have been appreciators of the craft for a while, but yeah, look at that. That is a totally new spin on the concept. This is a a beautiful rainbow Horgon, and we have some 3D printed rainbow Horgons now too. So Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. this one will be a very unique one up on stage. It's also got some uh, beans or something in the base, something heavy to make the base heavier than the top, which I really appreciate as a design choice. Yeah, that's great. This is awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love it. I love the expanding, uh, you know, like infinite Horgon diversity and infinite combinations has always been something that we've believed in. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited. The next tour we go out on, this will be out on the table with us. Yeah. I mean, soon our entire table will be festooned <laughs> with Miriam kinds of Horgons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Adam, I'm enjoying my Coco No-No, but uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than talking about an episode of Star Trek with you. Do you want to get into the episode that we came to talk about today? I don't know, man. Do you have 20 more minutes of gifts to open, or you really want to do this? I think I want to do it. All right. Let's do it, Ben. Star Trek Voyager Season 4, Episode 21, The Omega Directive. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. We start in the alcove where we get to experience Seven of Nine's morning routine. 
And this is an enviable amount of energy that she's got <laughs> from jump. Like try to imagine if she weren't in the alcove, if she were a, a different type of person who slept in a bed, Yeah, what she's doing is throwing the sheets off and steps from bed getting right to work because like she steps out of the alcove and like records her plans for the day without needing to shake off the cobwebs in any way, without needing a coffee or a Ratcagino. Yeah. Oh, 600 hours. Regeneration cycle complete. Daily log, seven of nine. There's no time in between sleep and, and work. I woke up this morning and like, we needed to call the power company about a thing. And there was some other, I don't know, like some, oh, some bureau. God, I got smoothie on my fucking keyboard. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> now I need to turn off my keyboard to smush the keys to clean it. You weren't using that keyboard. Come on. You never type. Guess what? I certainly didn't turn off my keyboard by hitting the buttons. I just did a bunch of crazy shit. I'm still <laughs> recording, though. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. The, the, and, you know, my wife asked me to, like, place these calls as I was, like, trudging out to the kitchen to get myself a cup of coffee. And... I was like, hey, can I like wake up a little bit first? And she was like, yeah, of course. Sorry. And then I sat down and watched this episode to prepare for what we're recording right now. And I was like, man, my wife would love it if she was married to Seven of Nine. <laughs> Wh whose wife wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> wow, you have uh, filled your, your mirror tumbler right up to the top. I'm looking at a meniscus... Of Coco No No. It's very foamy. Yeah, right? It's foamy and thick. It is delicious. Do you like that thick, Daddy? I do. It's good. Good. I'm glad. I mean, look, this seems to be like an abomination, the idea of a smoothie seltzer, but it works. I didn't know what to expect. I, I really bought it on impulse, and I was persuaded by the claims on the package that it contained legit fruit. And that when you look at the box that it comes in, there's a hole in the bottom that shows that the cans are being stored upside down so that the fruit redistributes when you open them. Shit. Well, I mean, I certainly didn't do that. Mm. I mean, but and and you can tell like when you get down to the bottom. It's it's a lot slurpier. It's a real I haven't blasted in a week kind of look, <laughs> <laughs> kind of look to things mm. toward the end. Wouldn't know how that is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I love that as she's recording her plans for the day, she tin mans the words Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. <laughs> love this moment. Yeah, it's good stuff. She uh, meets up with Kim in the lunchroom. I was very distracted in this scene because we've talked many times about that espresso urn thing mm -hmm. on the bar in the lunchroom and how beat up and shitty it looked. Yeah. In this scene, suddenly it looks like a piece of Star Trek technology. What, what is, how, how did you get my espresso machine? Yeah, they spiffed it up, huh? When did this happen? Is this new in this episode or, or has this been this way for a while and I, I'm just noticing it? I think this is an episode notable for a lot of visual changes. And I think hair is a big part of it. Like Kim's hair looks different. Yeah. Paris's hair looks different. Janeway's hair looks different. Yeah, I was tripping. So maybe the hair and makeup department got got a hold of this espresso machine and yeah, got uh, got to work on it as well. Kim is playing Kalto with Tuvok, and 
I never knew that there was a competitive element to this game. Yeah, I mean, so competitive is it that they've been playing all night. And when Seven walks into the mess hall, she just fucking completes the game for Kim. Kim is on on the doorstep of beating Tuvok. This would be a big moment for him in the annals of it would be logical to pick up sticks, the game. (laughs) And it's such a weird react because... I think part of it is that they have been playing all night. Kim can't even take proper umbrage with the moment. He's just sort of flabbergasted by what's happened here. Yeah. I mean, the dude is exhausted. Yeah. He's not thinking straight. He's not He's not really in a solving Calto state of mind, but we just watched Seven leap out of bed and instantly start working. So yeah. she clearly is and uh, and really drags him when she describes what a simple... I mean, she, she drags both Kim and Tuvok in her description of this game i would say elementary spatial harmonics are you ready now yeah and drags in a different way because she needs to drag him to work it's time for him to clock in sure is and while they're out in the corridor walking they experience a banger there's a banger and we cut right up to the bridge where paris is at the helm and chakotay is in the captain's chair and the ship has like slowed down sensors aren't giving anything and just every screen on the bridge suddenly has this embossed Omega symbol pop up on it. And nobody knows what's going on. And the captain comes on the bridge and is clearly aware of what's going on, but is being cagey as hell about what it is. That would be for me. <laughs> it's a real Code 47, but nobody even knows the Code 47 thing. I have recently pledged Omega <laughs> sorority. <laughs> Unless you're in the sorority, (laughs) you are not permitted to know what the messages mean. The final sorority. (laughs) After this, there will be no other. (laughs) She strides onto the bridge and she's like, I got this. Yeah. Give it to me in my ready room. And also, while I'm in the ready room, don't talk about this with anyone. Yeah. And don't talk about my new haircut either, you fucking assholes. (laughs) After the theme, I love how Janeway sets up the ready room for masturbation. Computer, seal the doors to this room. No entry without my authorization. Doors are sealed. (laughs) It's subtle. You you were recently asking me about how uh, you're moving and you're going to have a new home office. And you were asking Uh if if I had any, like, uh, things I learned the hard way that I could save you the trouble in setting up your new home office. One thing I failed to talk to you about is, like, Setting your office up so that no one can sneak in on you masturbating. And yeah. uh, Janeway has a, a real good setup, you know, desk facing the door, so mm-hmm. there's no surprises there. And she can also just announce that the door needs to be locked out loud as she walks into the office. Pretty great. <laughs> That'd be good, like, right? Like, uh, like hey, Siri, <laughs> make sure I'm not disturbed for the next 45 minutes. Janeway uses some codes I don't recall her using before These are special Omega codes Yeah They give even even harder codes than uh, self-destruct ones Yeah For the Omega directive And once she passes all the tests The computer tells her that the Omega phenomenon Is close by And that she must do the Omega directive Mm -hmm. All other priorities have been rescinded She doesn't want to do it, but she's got to do it. And we cut down to engineering where Chakotay is briefing a small team. It's BLT, Seven, and Paris. 
they're being briefed on like some modifications that need to be made to the ship and to shuttlecraft. Uh, and he's giving a lot of, you know, command authority to his orders here and getting a lot of lippy questions back. Like, why are we doing this? What's the data that supports doing this? Like, modifying the shields in this way should be tested before we just commit these commands. And he's he's taking none of it. He doesn't know anything that they don't know. Like, he's, he's not yeah. being given any special insight into this by the captain. This is the last we see BLT this episode because Roxanne Dawson goes on to give birth to her baby right wow. after this. Like, she went straight from set to go give birth, and that is why later on she does not attend a very important meeting about what they're going to do <laughs> on this mission. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Yep. Do it. Yep. Do it. Yep. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Yep. Do it. Yep. Do it. This doesn't happen very much in Star Trek, right? The the in the darkness that these crew people are in, and that includes Chakotay, because in this scene, BLT's like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm hearing some things. Maybe you could tell me if I'm right or not mm-hmm. about what I'm hearing. And Chakotay is like, look, I don't know anything about this. And also, we should stop talking about it. That's one of the orders we received. Yeah, and orders is orders. So mm-hmm. uh, So, you know, let's be cool here. Yeah. And so they get to work, but nobody is like especially thrilled about this. Tevin is the first person to take her displeasure straight to the captain. <laughs> but the captain um, has surmised that Seven actually knows what's going on. Right. And that's because as a Borgs, she has absorbed all information that Starfleet captains have, secret or otherwise. And so there's sort of a dilemma here. Like the captain can enlist Seven's help in this or confine Seven to the cargo bay. And it's an interesting situation because Seven and Janeway have had a pretty contentious and conflicted relationship up until now. And this is an opportunity to work together that Seven takes sort of in spite of her misgivings about the plan that Janeway has. And in spite of like the kind of way she thinks about Omega having been a Borgs. Right. And this is a moment in time, this episode, where we still aren't super clear about what it is they're talking about. No. It's basically a concept in name only, and that's what we get. And we also gather that because they have different opinions on the matter, like it's interesting, there's two toggle switches in this scene, right? It's the on-off of whether or not Seven of Nine joins Janeway in the mission, and then there's the on-off of save or destroy whatever Omega is. Right. And it's a debate. Like, Seven is like, yeah, well, as the Borgs, we we made it one time. Mm -hmm. It blew up, like, half a million drones and, like, a bunch of ships and stuff, and it was, like, a total catastrophe. But we were like, wow, we're really on to something. Yeah. Uh, And Janeway is like, well, the Starfleet party line is destroy it whenever you detect it. And that's what we're going to do. And I think Seven basically decides to help out because otherwise she won't even get to look at this thing. She won't even get to see any data about it, right? Yeah, she makes it clear that the perfection that this thing represents is so tantalizing to her that, you know, being along for the ride, even if she disagrees with the direction the ride is going, like, is worth it to her. Yeah. It's something that the Borgs really fetishize. They they think Omega is really, really cool. 
Somebody who doesn't think this situation is really, really cool is the doctor because the captain goes down to Six Bay and is like, pump me full of stuff to prevent radiation poisoning. And he's like, why? What are you planning to do? Stroll through a supernova? Something like that. This felt to me like such a drug dealer with a conscience scene. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Janeway is about to buy way more than she usually does. And the dealer's like, whoa, (laughs) this isn't usually what you get. And in the amounts you usually get, everything all right? Did you like find a briefcase full of cash (laughs) in an alleyway or something? (laughs) What's going on? Hey, look, you're one of my best customers. So I kind of want you to stick around. (laughs) (laughs) She pulls rank and, and, you know, gets him to commit to helping her. And then she Did you catch- get the sense that the doc knew what Omega was by virtue of him being kind of the computer incarnate? Like, there is no discussion of what it is specifically, but there is mention of it, and the doc is like, oh, all right. Don't tell me. The Omega Directive, whatever that might be. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if you say it's the Omega Directive... And it's like a serious enough thing that the ship automatically pulls itself over. Mm -hmm. Everybody on the ship can kind of imagine that like whatever the Omega Directive is, is a really big deal. Yeah. But also, if you're trying to stifle any knowledge of the Omega Particle, maybe you shouldn't call it the Omega Directive. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's like a purloined letter thing, like we'll hide it in plain sight, but... Everybody on the ship knowing that they're doing the Omega Directive right now really kind of, <laughs> kind of hangs a lantern on this secret thing. The Omega Directive needs better PR, right? Yeah, it really does. It's like Section 31. Does everyone know about it or does no one know about it? Right. What's the deal? Right. There's a poignancy to the end of the scene because the doc has a just-in-case goodbye, yeah. which I think more people on Star Trek should have before yeah. just about every mission, right? But like one third of all scenes in Star yeah. Trek would be this, and it would kind of like lose its, <laughs> its poignancy. <laughs> every time someone gets on the transporter to like transport down to Boston, they'd be like, hey, just in case this transport doesn't go all right, it's been real. <laughs> How fucking dark would our show be if... During the credits, every time was like, hey, Ben, just want to say I really enjoyed doing this with you. And in case it's the last time, good job. I mean, good job by you, man. We have co-hosted on podcasts in the past that probably should have had that kind of sign-off. Yeah, yeah. I'm not as worried about this one. No, exactly. <laughs> Back in Seven of Nine's alcove, she has picked up not just a single particle, which is sort of what we thought had occurred in the beginning, but hundreds of particles. It's so many particles that Janeway's like, I can't even wrap my mind around this. Because initially the mission, and again, I need to emphasize we know nothing about the particle or or its power or anything at this point. Janeway's like, a single shuttle isn't going to do it, huh? <laughs> and she is made to come around to the idea that the ship and the crew may be necessary to solve a problem of this scope. Because contextually, you believe that up until now, it's only been a single particle problem that a captain's made to solve. Right. But with these hundreds of particles, there's just no way one person can do it. So let's get this data down to the ass lab and, and get a group on this. 
we catch up with Harry Kim and Tuvok who are doing a little bit of surgery on photon torpedo. And, uh, Kim is, is tripping out on the size of the warhead that they're putting in this thing when the captain comes in and is like, double it. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember fat man and little boy? <laughs> I want them both I wa- in this <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I want this torpedo DP'd with fat man and little boy. <laughs> Gotta come down out of the clouds, gentlemen, and get into the business. Winning a war. I want DVDA torpedo energy. I love how she just storms in and storms out immediately after saying this. Like she just drops this bomb and leaves. Yeah. It's big fun. And Ensign Kim is like speculating about all these different things it could be and like, oh, maybe it's a way home. Maybe it's species 42069. Tuvok does not care for this. Uh, this is a game of uh, mental Calto. He is not interested in playing. Yeah. He just wants to build the bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. He wants to set them up the bomb. I mean, they are both equally my curious, as in mission curious. <laughs> but Tuvok isn't the one putting it out on <laughs> the street, sucks. right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I expect your support for shit like that. What mm, the hell, man? Mm, no. I say all your shit is good. <laughs> This is a point in the episode where, like, it's clear everyone is gossiping about this. But I began to think, where is the town gossip? Where is Neelix on this? Neelix should be a part of this episode throughout, and he's nowhere to be found. He's notably absent from this episode. And Chakotay catches up with the captain in the ass lab, and he's updating her, and... She's kind of vaguely updating him, and that's when he's like, all right, this is fucking getting really frustrating, and it seems like you're trying to solve some huge problem with almost no help, and we're in the fucking D-Quad. Like, help yeah. us help you. Yeah. And uh, and this is persuasive. Yeah. I thought for sure when they cut to the... Like, okay, we'll just, I'll tell the senior staff. Like, you've talked me into it, but it's just got to be the senior staff. I thought for sure when we cut to the briefing room that Neelix was going to be there. Yeah. And it was going to be like, oh, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Not really the senior staff. This is really a crucial scene in the whole episode, though, right? Because this is one of those moments where Chakotay is both commander and friend. Yeah. Friend who wants something more. Yeah. Also is a part of this. He sort of um, opens up a rhetorical bathtub for her to ease herself into. <laughs> and uh, and she accepts, you know? I love a bath. It's my favorite way of relaxing. It's not too hot for her to lower herself down into. <laughs> no, it's just right. I mean, it feels like it might be too hot, but that's actually just right, you know? Yeah, the rhetoric feels good mm-hmm. on the birdie. <laughs> Our course is locked in. So we cut to this briefing, and this is like, we're, you know... I hate how much better rhetorical bathtub is than my curious. I hate it. (laughs) I'm seething right now. Uh, Have another pina colada. It'll make you feel better. (laughs) So we cut over to the conference room, where it is proven that Janeway has come around to the idea of, of a group think about this. Everyone besides BLT and Neelix is at this table. My favorite part of this briefing is when 
She says that Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Oh, really? Is it? I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. It starts with O. <laughs> Why are the Greeks so fucking stupid about this stuff? Yeah. yeah. You know what? If the Greeks were so smart, they'd still be around, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's an empty place now. <laughs> She explains to them what it what it is to pledge Omega. I can't wait to read the like two hundred comment Reddit thread that, <laughs> that that's titled "Is Adam really dumb or is he just playing dumb?" <laughs> For laughs. Yeah, yeah. Ironic that you chose to wear a t shirt with the NASA logo on it today. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the Omega particle is this particle that's like both a enticing potential source of infinite energy, but also has proven to be a threat to the entire galaxy. And also the coolest sorority on Greek row. <laughs> the girls are all tens. <laughs> <laughs> they only date members of the football team and the <laughs> basketball team. <laughs> They only wear pillowcases to toga parties. I'd love to tell you about what it was like to pledge for them, but it's a total secret. <laughs> a total secret that will get Greek life banned on this campus if it ever comes out. <laughs> she shows what happens to the starbase where they did the Omega particle experiment yeah. on screen. And it's Dr. Kitterak's big mistake, huh? Yeah kind of hard to see what's going on it sort of looks like they tie-dyed a starfleet science outpost like it's the same playset as they did the genesis device on right you look at the way this room is configured you, you have your front row where seven is sitting but then you have your back row further away from the screen mm -hmm. i'd want to punch in on this a little bit like if i'm sitting in the back row like yeah. if i'm in paris's seat like hey can we uh enhance <laughs> a little bit, maybe. Why, why didn't we spring for the 65-inch screen? Why the four, 42 inch? Yeah. I don't understand. This is a nice big wall. Yeah. Dr. Kitterak really fucked this up. He blew out the side of his science station and killed a bunch of people in the process. Yeah. And then we learn what the Omega particle does. It destroys subspace when you don't handle it right. Effectively ending Star Trek as we know it. I don't have to tell you what's at stake. And nobody has ever handled it right. Like yeah. when this explosion happened, it made warp travel impossible in the sector. And Starfleet's big concern, yeah, is if anybody else tried to mess with this shit, they would make warp travel impossible for everyone. So those are the stakes, right? Do your job right, and you're still 80 years from home. Do it wrong. And you're stuck on the 405 forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I really like this scene because it does a nice job of kind of showing a little bit more of the hand that the captain is playing with in a, you know, it's like a very expository scene, mm -hmm. but it carries the weight of heightening the stakes for the whole crew. And I think that that's a pretty deft way of, of doing exposition like this. To get a little Star Trek hair cast with it, is that why Janeway's hair it feels a little flat this whole episode? Like, is it carrying the weight mm. of the mission? <laughs> yeah, Paris is too. I mean, we've talked about the lift and bounce sort of leaving him. And yeah, I think that they've both kind of gone a little flatter. 
Yeah. I don't know what that's about. I mean, no one has show hair this episode. I would disagree. I would say that Harry Kim for sure has show hair. You know what? You're right. Yeah, he is the one who has gotten the gel up. Yeah. He, he's... <laughs> Garrett Wong, like, slipped a $20 bill to the person in the hair and makeup trailer and was like, all of the stuff you're spraying in everybody else's hair, I want it all. Everything goes in my hair. I constantly underestimate how much time it takes to get show hair mm -hmm. myself. Like, if I really want to get the height, you really got to be willing to spend the time. It takes it, it takes dedication. It takes focus. You can't be doing two things at once, you know? I really got to tell you that this smooge is disgusting. I don't recommend pouring it into a glass. You don't want to look at this. <laughs> I mean, you could just be drinking it from the can, I suppose. Yeah, I could, but they've been sitting on my desk now, and I want to get it over ice, which is what yeah. I've been doing. Yeah, that's smart. So everything is in place. The crew is now helping with a little bit more context. And when Seven of Nine and the captain catch up in the cargo bay, they talk a little bit more about what the boards know about the Omega Particle. And it turns out that a bunch of species know about this. And yeah. the Borgs have assimilated a lot of them. And pretty much all of them have a sort of mystical take on what the significance of this thing existing might be, including species human. Like Janeway yeah. is like, yeah, it's like the particle at the Big Bang. And, you know, the Borgs believe it's the perfect particle. And so that's why they're so interested in it, because it kind of represents the thing that they aspire to. And there's a spiritual element that, you know, Seven is sort of dismissive of everyone else's use of a spiritual framework to think about this. But the captain points out that maybe maybe the Borg's conception of the Omega Particle is not that far off of it. It's so interesting that Seven has sort of taken the spot that Neelix used to occupy. Like, remember how many episodes Neelix was on the bridge as the map guy? Like, oh, we know who these aliens are, and yeah. here's the backstory. And in this scene, Seven is doing exactly that. Like, giving that kind of backstory, the the anthropological... Is, is it anthropological? Like, xeno-anthropological backstory? Mm. Mm. Xeno-sociological backstory? The very term is racist. You know what I mean. <laughs> I see we have a long way to go. Yeah, she knows more about the species that they're going to encounter. Yeah. Because uh, once they got to that necrot expanse, that was the end for Neelix. I know. Yeah. I mean, that's how it is so many times. As soon as you see the necrot, mm -hmm. everything changes. Yeah. Very exciting to see the necrot. Yeah. yeah. On the bridge, Voyager has arrived at the star system where they picked up the Omega Particles. Yeah. And we are told that this is a system with a pre-warp planet on one end and kind of an M-class moon somewhere else. And on this moon, there is evidence of a Dr. Kidderact-style explosion. Yeah, the the atmosphere of this moon is very Omega-ish. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we get like a punch-in on the view screen of the facility where... This is uh, centered on, and it, it looks like a disaster. It's a really cool, like, orbital visual. It's just a bunch of blindfolded 18-year-old girls, and they're just being <laughs> paddled by another 18-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. This is Omega. They're, like, standing on boxes, and they need to jump off of those boxes onto what they think is broken glass, but it's actually, like, Doritos or something. 
And you, you'd think that, like, this is how you build, like, social bonds? Like, this is how social cohesion develops? Yeah. I still remember the Doritos you made me step on before joining the show. Yeah. Cool ranch. Well, yeah. I, I would never make nacho cheesier Doritos suffer the indignity of having somebody walk around on them. Yeah. I don't, ha- I don't have any use for Cool Ranch. I don't care for that flavor. Real uh, Dorito diehard mm-hmm. is what I was made to do. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. Fortnite is just drunk gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. 
Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. So instead of just like bombing the site from orbit, fucking a. they're going to put a rescue team together because there are life signs down there. Yeah. They're going to transport to the surface and beam the casualties up to Voyager. And uh, the captain is going to be on the away mission. I didn't think that was even allowed in Star Trek. There's no stopping her. No. Don't even try, Chakotay. It's not going to happen. You have the bridge. <laughs> Sounds great. We cut to the facility, and there are just bodies strewn everywhere. Yeah. And, and they find a survivor, and the survivor tells Janeway that some Omega remains are in the test chamber and kind of gestures with, like, the uh, the claw finger. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I don't blame this guy for giving it up like this when he doesn't know when you know, anybody would be coming to his rescue other than mm-hmm. these people. But like, mm-hmm. this does sort of smack of like the nuclear codes are over there. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to tell how smart or dumb these guys are. Like, or if fucking with Omega just always is going to statistically result in a big accident, no matter what. Like, I wish we knew how smart these scientists are because when he gestures to the chamber, we're like, oh yeah, look at how thick and strong this chamber is. Like, mm. at least they had the good sense to do that. And Tuvok turns to Janeway and is like, you know, we're about to violate the prime directive. And Janeway tells Tuvok that for the rest of the episode, they're going to be running a fucking train on the prime directive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wild. They haven't even busted open that box and, and they know what's going to happen. The Omega overrides the Alpha, Adam. Yeah. I also, like, speaking of just, like, amazing utterances, once they beam down, the away team seems to be primarily composed of red shirts, like people we've never seen before are running around with tricorders and med kits and stuff. There are so many pre-deads here. And they're just talking openly about the Omega Particle and, like, all of this shit that they've spent the entire first half of the episode being so secretive about. And it's like, does yeah. this... Does Ensign No Name, like, really just get to overhear this stuff? Yeah. What's going on? I, they they talk around this, but, like, when you're so far from home and there is no one near you whatsoever, the democratization of knowledge and information here should be unique. Yeah. Like, even the lowest person, there is a lowest rank on this ship, and that person should know a little bit about what's going on. It'd be nice. Is that Naomi Wildman? Is she the lowest rank, technically? Because she's a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So Seven has been left up on the ship building like a containment unit for the Omega Particle. Like a containment and eradication unit. Right. It's a sphere that they'll beam the particles into and it'll like neutralize them. And we cut back up to her giving someone a nickname. Your new designation is three of ten. Yes, ma'am. And uh, the whole team that's been tasked to the seven detail are being kind of pulled into her Borg's collective. Mm -hmm. And Kim is taking great umbrage with this. He's not into this. He immediately complains to Chakotay about having been given a Borg's designation. 
and it just doesn't feel good about it overall. This is such a fun moment of what happens when a middle manager gets a little too much authority over yeah. a situation, and suddenly the manager manager comes in and is like, whoa. Yeah. And everyone immediately starts bitching at the manager manager about how the middle <laughs> manager is doing it. And the manager manager can't take the blame for this. He's no. like, yeah, uh, whatever they say goes, all right? As long as it's working, I don't really yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. Because they can't take the L on that. No. No. Kim bitches at anyone with an earshot about what's happening here. Doesn't matter if it's Neelix or Chakotay. And Kim gets demoted for this. Yeah. Now he's two of 10. That seems like better than six of 10, but I guess it's worse. Yeah. Is 10 of 10 the best? Gotta be. 10 out of 10, baby. Wow. I want to meet that person. Who is it? Man, a perfect 10. Did Seven give herself the rank 10 of 10? I was just going to say that. Seven would. <laughs> and sometimes it's confusing because she refers to herself as Seven of t- 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm seven, but I'm also a dime. You know, you do the math. Yeah. Yeah. In LA, I'm a 10. On Voyager, I'm a seven. <laughs> yeah. Seven catches wind that there is one of these aliens that was at the experiment in Six Band. She she goes down there with the cop that is going to interrogate someone in the ICU energy mm-hmm. from movies and television. And the doctor is like trying to stand in between her and him. He has knowledge I require. And trying to ride for, hey, be nice to that guy <laughs> when you talk yeah. to him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's he looks a lot better. He had a lot more blood and guts on his face when they first met him. And, and he's all patched up. He's just kind of resting up in the bio bed. And uh, he tells her about how many of these molecules they synthesized in their experiment. And it really puts the Borgs to shame. Like, the Borgs should be fucking humiliated that a pre-warp species made 200 million omega particles when the Borgs made one for a trillionth of a nanosecond or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, these guys really pulled down the Borg's pants on this one. Yeah. But your approach is innovative. And uh, they want this dude to help them destroy the particles. And this guy is pissed at the idea. Yeah, does not care for this. Yeah. You know, he he accuses them of being like primitives that can only destroy the that which they don't understand or whatever. That's a fun part of this is like that he is pre-warp and he's condescending to them. Yeah. But like you kind of get the sense it's it's not illustrated like super vividly, but you kind of get the sense that this is sort of a species running out of time, like they've used up their biosphere and need a limitless energy solution and don't know about or don't have access to dilithium. Yeah. So the prospect of destroying the molecules he made in his experiment also is a civilization-killing act for him. Yeah. I th- I kind of wish this episode re- grappled with that more. Like the the prime directive override of this episode does doom these people yeah. if you believe this one guy. The future of my people depends on this discovery. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. 
the problem of the quantity is apparent in the insufficiency of their solution, right? Orbital bombardment isn't going to destroy this many particles. So the idea is that they need to use both chamber and missile in order to complete the mission. Yeah. And we finally get the chamber open down on the surface. And I love the way they lit this shot and like put the camera at sort of a Dutch angle. Mm -hmm. The eerie blue light washes over the captain and Tuvok's faces as they look at this, you know, wonder of science. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's a really great moment. They don't pulp fiction this moment in a good way, right? Like glowy thing that people are looking at is kind of a... uh, It's been done. Right. Right? And this looks different. The Omega Particle is not just a MacGuffin. It actually has like a a use. It is described in in much more detail than the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And by that nature means more to the characters and therefore more to the audience. Right. And- Well put. Its potential use is so tempting in in so many ways. And And its kind of spiritual significance is so- interesting all throughout this episode only part of that is the point that seven tries to make to chakotay later because she's like look we could destroy but i also have the technology to stabilize them yeah what would you say if i told you that we could do that instead and chakotay starts out a little pissed like this isn't part of the mission our mission was destroy what the fuck is this but then he he gets curious. He's like, all right, well, give me the demo. Like, you want to pitch me? Pitch me. <laughs> He's Omega curious? <laughs> yeah, and so after getting the pitch, the question is, how do we test this? And Seven's like, well, yeah, we, we obviously need to test this on Omega itself. And I would really appreciate it if, as a personal favor to me, <laughs> you allowed me to do that. Because as she goes on to describe her relationship with this particle... She's practically in love with it. Yeah. Does Seven want to fuck the Omega Particle? Particle zero one zero. Take off your clothes. Seven's like, look, man, uh, a Kuchimoya or whatever. Like, <laughs> right? I want to a Kuchimoya this. The deal that they make is like, Chicote is like, all right, well, it seems like you've thought about this more than anybody else. I'm going to take what you've said to the captain and see what she says. But in the meantime, let's do the original plan. And it's tough. Like, he he totally gets where she's coming. Like, he's like, yeah, if I could, like, look at the face of Hakuchi Moya, yeah. I would. I'd pursue it with all my heart. And I, I understand that this is your Hakuchi Moya, and you want to look at the face of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way for him to end a conversation by just going, all right, I'll ask her. Like, <laughs> fine, fine. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a parenting thing, right? Like, I'll run it by your mom, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not making a final decision right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he doesn't really get an opportunity, does he? Because at this point, ships from the pre-warp civilization are headed this way. And because of the subspace damage that the Omega particle has wrecked in this area, they can't run away faster than these people can chase them. <laughs> This really feels like a leap to me because as soon as we learn that these ships are approaching, I'm like, well, yeah, they're no match for the Voyager. Yeah. But like once we learn that they're actually faster than Voyager, I also didn't quite believe that. What is that about? How tough can these ships be and how fast can they be? Yeah. Is this just like the smaller ships are more maneuverable thing? 
I wish we knew for sure, because it, this episode's really asking you to believe that there's a threat here. Yeah. Yeah, this pre-warp civilization has really good impulse engines and phasers mm -hmm. that are strong enough to damage Voyager. Yeah. So in order to sort of expedite the beaming, they move Voyager into the atmosphere to complete this transport, to transport the cules mm. to the ship. I feel like if you're a cool scientist, that's what you call them. Yeah, let's get these cules in the uh, confinement beam. Yeah. And this is the moment that Chakotay tells Janeway about the alternate plan. I was like, when is this going to happen? There's no good time to say it. <laughs> and when he does, Janeway is like, I'm going to go to seven and jerk the leash. <laughs> I'm glad we put that pinch collar on her. Yeah. It's going to help greatly in training. Yeah. I'll be in cargo bay too. It's a danger close mission. It's like uh, we got to like jack these particles and get them on the ship and get out of here as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. And they're like taking shots. The the phasers from this other ship like actually do some, some damage to them. Mm -hmm. And so they've got to like clear deck four, which is where Seven's quarters slash the cargo bay are. And they've got this like huge dome full of Omega particles that Seven has built. And the captain persuades Seven to start neutralizing particles. Yeah. Omega must end here. We both know that. Man, it's a really intense scene. Like, it's Seven being brought to heal in some mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. But it's also Seven sort of deciding not to fight Janeway on this, even though on a really deep level, the most important thing to her in her whole life would be the knowledge she could gain from these particles. Like it is seven making a choice for the greater good of the ship and for the benefit of her relationship with Janeway that really harms her. And in the background is the ticking clock, right? And the approaching ships. Like there's a lot of stress placed on the scene. I thought it was really well written and really well acted. Like this is Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew, like trading very subtle barbs with each other, but, ultimately coming to an agreement and like being scientists with each other at the same time. Yeah, I like this moment. Yeah, so they're basically gonna alien queen the remaining particles because they haven't been able to neutralize all of them. Prepare to decompress cargo bay two on my command. Once we've jettisoned the chamber, fire. And when they alien queen this thing, it's gonna like go back in space behind the ship to the pursuing craft and explode in between them. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's fucking cold as hell. Like these people are fighting for the existence of their civilization and you're just gonna fucking bomb them. Yeah. There's coffee in that gravimetric torpedo. It's pretty rugged. I love the uh, audacity of a pre-warp rube to get on FaceTime and tell Chakotay to prepare to be boarded. I know, I know. We cut back and forth between what's happening on the bridge with these approaching ships and what's going on in the alcove next to the chamber and inside the alcove we get the apex scene of the whole thing like they're just about done the omega scene would you say yeah yeah what seven glimpses here is that the molecules inside are spontaneously stabilizing and she's seeing this through kind of a spock master style hood that we've seen on like the original enterprise yeah and we get some real promise shots here of Seven taking this in yeah. before they run out of the room and dump the chamber and shoot it. Seven does get to see the Omega Particle stabilize 
for a brief instant, and then they got to run. Yeah. And uh, she does get to see the face of God. Hey, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, right? Good for her. They dump it out. They shoot it. It explodes. <laughs> they go to warp, and the threat's over. Yeah. Mission accomplished. They did it. Yeah. Not bad for a human. They get those guys back to their planet and like, hey, sorry about the collapse of your civilization. Okay, bye. Sorry about destroying your lifelong ambition in front of you, like while you watched. <laughs> that sucks, right? Yeah, pretty sad. But uh, there's like a captain's log where she's like, yeah, we deleted all the data that we mm -hmm. gathered here, which I was mm -hmm. like, really? Yeah. Why? Like that seemed like useful data. I know. Is that really the rule? <laughs> Seems like it. There are a lot of unusual rules having to do with Omega. Yeah. And then we cut to uh, Da Vinci's workshop. Da Vinci off in Paris, so he's not here. Yeah. It's seven, looking around the laboratory, looking at all the jack-off machines and also the crucifix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she tells Janeway when, when she walks in, Janeway's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was expecting to be alone. <laughs> and Seven's like, I'm studying religion because what I saw through the Spock Master cannot be explained by science. Yeah. And Janeway's like, well, if you could just keep looking at the cross, I'm going to be on the other side of the room doing something. Please do not turn around. <laughs> this is a very abrupt ending to the episode, like a mom telling their daughter about her first period. Yeah. And the mom telling the daughter that's what that was. Yeah. And yeah. then we're like into the credits. That's it. And the fact that they used the TNG credits music, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I did like this episode. I think that uh, I wrote down abrupt ending as well. I felt like, yeah. you know, there's something about this episode that sort of reminds me of the movie Contact, like mm -hmm. a movie that has a really like trippy, almost spiritual element. Like, you know, we we joke about they should have sent a poet, but like, yeah, I, I've always like admired that movie, like wrote its way into showing the stuff that's hard to show in a film. Yeah. And I think that this episode writes its way into showing the stuff that's hard to show in an episode. And it doesn't really seem like it's a seven of nine episode after that first scene. Like, you know, we start the episode with her and end the episode with her, but it doesn't uh, hit as though it's a, this is a seven episode and it's about seven's sense of spirituality all the way through. Yeah, you only ever get that in the very last moment. Yeah, and I think that that was like the one area that I was a little disappointed. Was like I think that it's a really interesting yeah, moment to meditate on and that the abruptness of that felt like uh, uh yeah, we got to cut for time. Like we're, we're already at 45 minutes. We got to go. And yeah. yeah. And I wished that there had been like two more minutes for them to talk in the denouement. Yeah. I think that would have made a big difference. I think I feel the same way you do. Is, is This is one of those episodes that was adversely affected by its final moments. And I wish you could take away a little bit from something in the middle or the beginning in order to make room for a more satisfying ending. But as a concept, I was very excited by it. Like I like it when 
there's a secret mission. I like it when captains know a thing that no one else does. Like some of my favorite TNG episodes involve like, what is the captain doing? Why is he keeping this a secret? Why is this so affecting to everyone else? Like it felt like a real throwback in that way. It was cool. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if there are any throwbacks in the P1 inbox, Adam? Sure do, Ben. Let's head in there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, something came up on my screen and it's covering every other thing that's on it. Mm. It's a P and a one. <laughs> oh boy. I can't tell you about it. Yeah. I'm going to have to take these in my ready room. Okay. Uh, hey, do you mind if I tag along to help? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know you like to watch P1s, Ben. Mm-hmm. Our first one here is from Your Nibble. Mm. And it is for He Who Is My Nibble. <laughs> the message goes like this. Apparently, we make Ben and Adam say some embarrassing gay stuff. Along with the sappy stuff. So here it goes. I can't believe how lucky I am to have such a caring husband who persistently pushes me to be a better friend, husband, engineer, citizen, and bottom. <laughs> Here's to another year of bettering ourselves and the rest of humanity. <laughs> oh, you nibbles. Yeah. For just a, a pair of nibbles uh-huh. tearing up that ass and the rest of humanity. Check out this pair of nibbles. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed by the gay stuff. That's great. No, I'm not either. Yeah. Persistently pushing someone to be a better bottom, though. Hmm. I might persistently uh, go for some lubricant there. <laughs> if it gets too persistent, you might need a little help. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, that's just good, clean fun. Is this an anniversary, do you think? It has a specific requested date, and that date's October 19th, but... Hey, we got really close. I know. It doesn't say anniversary, so I don't know. The tone of the thing suggests that that might be what it is, but you know what? Even if it's not, what a nice thing to say to your partner. Yeah. On any day. You know what? What? This could be a coincidence, but one of my college roommates, uh, a great friend... Uh, one of the first gay people that, you know, was out in my life and was a very good friend. You're talking about Derek Nibble? (laughs) I actually did have a college roommate named Derek, but that's a different Uh story for a different time. Uh, (laughs) uh, his birthday is October 19th. So I wonder if, uh, listen, (laughs) long shot. I don't think he listens to the show. I know he doesn't listen to the show. I love the idea that Nibble could be this couple's last name. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. the doormat is like, uh, welcome to the Nibbles. Casa de Nibble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the Nibbles house, we believe. <laughs> and so on and so on. Right. Well, uh, happy whatever you're celebrating, Nibbles. Happy day. Our next P1 is from Patrick in Virginia, and it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this. I'm traveling for the Labor Day weekend, and wouldn't you know it, I left my prescription glasses on a bus. They're goners. Yep. Thankfully, when I packed, I thought, I should bring my backups. You know, two is one, and one is none. 
Yes. So thanks to the pod, I don't have to wear my prescription sunnies inside like a maniac the rest of the trip. Thanks. I'm just so glad we're helping in any way with this show. <laughs> oh, man, I would really be done if I left my my one pair of prescription glasses on a bus. That would that would ruin a trip for me. I'm not a glassesman, but like the first time you get fitted for glasses and you get glasses, I'm imagining as a child this happened to you. Yeah. Are you given two? Are you given one and then the second one is a secret that your parents know about? No. How does that work? No. I mean, when I first got a prescription, my prescription didn't need to be that strong. So it was sort Mm -hmm. of optional whether I wore them or not. But Mm -hmm. um, at this point, my eyesight has degenerated to the point that I am pretty severely impaired without my glasses. Like, I... I will be standing in a small room going, I can't fucking find my glasses. And my wife will be like, they are right in front of you. Yeah. God, my eyesight's really fallen off a cliff too, man. I don't know what it is. I could guess it's standing in front of a monitor (laughs) for an entire day at a time and for years at a time. Maybe you need to take it easy. Take a seat. You think it's the standing that's doing it? Rest those peepers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I used to be able to read a clock radio from across a gymnasium. And now, like, I don't know how I used to do that. I want you to go get your eyes checked, my friend. Damn it. It's worth doing. Even if you're not a glasses person. All right. Make sure you don't have, like, early signs of glaucoma or anything like that. I mean. That's a good note. You're popping the jazz gummies often enough that I'm not worried about your <laughs> ocular pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good note. Maybe I'll go check them out. Get those peepers checked. Yeah. Put that on the company cart. It's on us. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to Patrick in Virginia for this important reminder on eye health. And thanks to everyone who got a Priority One message on today's show. If you'd like to book a Priority One message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Do it today. Just like I'm going to book myself an appointment with the optometrist. Yeah, I am too. Uh, It's a good reminder for me. I haven't been to the optometrist since before the pandemic started because uh, (laughs) there's a lot of things I haven't done since before the pandemic started and I need to get that back on my my regular schedule. Yeah. You going to go see an optometrist in a van in a parking lot? Or do you have a better reference than than one of those? I've got a guy, but it, you know it's on the east side. It's, it's of no yeah. use to you. I'm not gonna do that. You're not gonna drive an hour to have somebody tell you your eyes are fine. I'm gonna go to a fancy Beverly Hills eye doctor, <laughs> where I'm gonna sit in a waiting room with a famous. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's gonna be great. Martin Scorsese will be there, but you won't be able to tell it's him, even even with his distinctive frames and and shock of white hair. Are you Mandy Patinkin? (laughs) Oh, awesome. Uh, Would you record a bumper for my podcast? (laughs) Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda. I think I'm going to give it to, uh, to Harry Kim. Like, I don't think Harry Kim is wrong. In this episode, when he complains about Seven's leadership style, uh huh, I do think he's wrong when he gets caught having stayed up all night playing Calto. <laughs> like, dude, you got work in the morning. Like, knock it off. But overall, just the like kick in the nuts of like, I've been an ensign this entire show. <laughs> We're yeah. now ending ending the fourth year of this mission. I remain an ensign. 
and I've been subordinated to Seven of Nine's team, and I don't like the way she's running things. It's just such a fucking indignity. Shouldn't he be looking for opportunities to distinguish himself positively? And by that, I mean maybe getting a good night's sleep and showing up for his duty shift on time. That seems like I'm yeah like I wonder if if he is going the way of a of a Tom Paris when Tom Paris is trying to convince the ship he's getting ready to jump like he's like fuck this like nothing I do gets me a promotion around here so I'm just gonna he's quiet quitting or whatever they call it Kim's got no time to fuck if he's spending all his time stacking sticks with uh, Tuvok in the mess hall right maybe he's torn his way through the whole ship and this is the only thing that interests him anymore Also, there are episodes where we're made aware that the mess hall has hours. Yeah. So did they keep the mess hall open just for this Calto game? Is this a Friday or a Saturday night where maybe it goes 24 hours? How does that work? When you're a bridge officer, you can probably tell me like, oh, no, we'll lock up. Don't worry. That's the most fun thing is when uh, the place locks up and you're locked inside. Yeah. Drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I don't know. Your description of Kim made me wonder why Tuvok didn't maybe give him a little help out the door. (laughs) Like, hey, Tuvok, why don't you help out your bro? (laughs) Maybe tell him to get some sleep so he wakes up fresh for his duty shift. Would that not be logical? Yeah, so I'm going to say Tuvok here. Though I do want to say honorable mention to Janeway and basically the Federation in general (laughs) because the idea of this Omega thing being kept a secret, such a secret that only captains know it, captains and the Borgs, I guess, by virtue of their assimilation of Starfleet captains. Yeah. I I don't like it. I don't like secrets like this. What are they so afraid of? Like any old crew person and their knowledge of this thing's existence is going to make it more dangerous? I don't know. Why don't we get all the minds involved to destroy this thing? Yeah. It seems very limiting as a policy. But like when you think about like a Michael Eddington knowing about this or- You know what? You're right. Your Calvin Hudson's like, thank goodness Cal never got that fourth pip. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This- we talk all the time about how few bad Starfleets there are. A policy like this recognizes that they're a thing yeah. to worry about. They are a thing to worry about. Like, You also hope that they're not giving this information out to admirals because they seem to have a pretty high rate of turning on everything the Federation stands for. Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's like there's like a thin layer of of people in Starfleet that are allowed to know about it. Captains, but nobody above captain and nobody below captain. We should have tied nubbin bugs into this story somehow, yeah. too. Right. Because it's Borgs, it's captains, it's admirals, it's captains and above is what it is. Yeah. But also nubbin bugs. Nubbin bugs know about the uh, the Omega particle. And yeah. uh, for that reason alone, we should fear the nubbins. Yeah, I still do. I'm never not fearing the nubbins. (laughs) Well, Adam, I don't fear what is going to happen next on the game of buttholes, but I do want to tell you about what will happen on the next episode. It's season four, episode 22, Unforgettable. (laughs) A mysterious but comely female alien claims to be in love with Chakotay and requests asylum aboard Voyager. Not enough people are described as comely, right? Yeah. Is comely a gendered adjective or can can anyone be comely? Uh, it, dep- 
depends on what your partner has done to you recently, I think. I want to be comely. Mm, gross. It sounds good, right? <laughs> no? Yeah, I mean, I, if you were comely, I would definitely throw you a, a rag to, to clean yourself up with. Pleasant to look at, attractive. Mm-hmm. And in parentheses, typically used of a woman. Yeah. Well, that's not fair. Is that one of those definitions that has the word archaic next to it? Yes. I love it when they have that. Archaic slash humorous. So the dictionary knows this is not a serious description of anyone. <laughs> You're saying this with a with a wry smile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Comely. All right. Now I know not to take it seriously if anyone describes me as comely. Well, tell us how we're going to take it <laughs> gamely by uh, rolling that bone, Adam. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Our runabout is pulsing on top of the Coco Nono Square. God, we really took a tumble, didn't we? Back mm. to the second row of the game. Yeah, it was bad. Six squares away is a Quark's Bar episode. That's the only thing in range for this dice roll. Okay. So here it is. Ben, I rolled a six. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Quark's Bar episode. All right. <laughs> Big fun, the game of buttholes. Uh, just about every time, especially today. Yeah, every time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that will be great. In the meantime, we really appreciate all the folks that support this program over at MaximumFun.org slash join. That is a uh, great way to keep this thing in business, keep it going. Yeah. We appreciate Wendy Pretty, the producer of this show. I mean, without whom at this point, I don't think it would really be possible to do. No, it's really financial support and Wendy. That's it. Yeah. It's not yeah. us. We're like a distant third or maybe even fourth yeah. in the hierarchy. You got to thank Bill Tilly, the great card daddy of this program, who runs the social medias at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. The recently married Bill Tilly. Yeah, that's Bill. We got to thank Nick Dittmore, who made the show art for this show. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, who made our original Janeway song off of the inspiration of Dark Materia, who made the Picard song. Of course, Adam Ragusia's Adam Ragusia podcast, tearing up the charts over there on your podcatcher. Make sure you're subscribed to that. I am. It's really good. We're going to be back on there soon. Adam Ragusia's podcast, one of the rare podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> I don't have room in my life for all these podcasts, but his is one of them. Mm -hmm. I was talking to him on the phone the other day about some like real shit that he was talking about on the podcast. Yeah. And I thought he just like hung up on me because I got too real, but it was a, that his phone ran out of battery. <laughs> God, that sucks. Yeah, I really went into a paranoid and dark place for a minute, but uh, it was okay. It was fine. It was just a, it was just a battery thing. Yeah, man, it's a good thing we're such good friends. <laughs> Are you still there? Yeah. Anybody? You got anybody'd. That's really, what that is. I really did. I, I, I didn't even realize I was in Anybody Canyon until uh -huh. I was there. <laughs> But uh, with that, we will be back at you next time in another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where we are drinking the 61 Cheval Blanc out of a styrofoam cup at a greasy spoon out by the highway. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
delicious. Make it so. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.